0: welcome to because i said so a podcast where we amplify youth voices and use age to better understand the world around us if you enjoyed this episode feel free to leave a review on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever else you find us it really really helps others find this podcast i hope you guys enjoy Hey, everybody, we have a very special guest today. Introduce yourself.
1: Hey, guys, my name is Basil Free. I'm a classmate of Virginia's. Why is that
0: not how I thought you pronounced your last name? That's the first controversy <laughs> that we're discussing today.
1: No, it's okay because I don't think I've ever met someone that's ever gotten it right the first time.
0: Well, you know what? I'm <laughs> just kidding. Today, we're talking about Rupee Core. <laughs> that was such a bad segue. We're talking about Rupee Core today, and for those of you who don't know, Rupi Kaur is a a poet. <laughs> We're saying that as lightly. Lightly, um, and many of you have probably heard of her, like really famous book. I would say the most famous one is Milk and Honey. Mm-hmm. It was on the New York Times bestseller for fifty-two weeks. It was posted on a lot of people's viscos and Instagrams. It was a very big thing. And, very Tumblr. Yeah. So, what do you know about Rupi Kaur?
1: Well, actually, Milk and Honey was the first poetry book I ever bought.
0: Really? I think... The ocean, the Ruby Core to Ocean Vong Pipeline. Exactly. <laughs> it's growth. It's
1: growth. <laughs> but I think I had just seen so much about it. I was like, I got to check this out. Um, and there's just nothing to it that I enjoyed.
0: Yeah. So give me like a little bit of your background as a poet. I think if anybody's listened to this podcast before, or if you haven't, I really enjoy poetry, um, that's part of the reason. We're both in journalism school here at Northwestern. We're both big writers. Poetry is something very important to me, but if you don't know, you could say a little bit more about what poetry means to you and like how you've kind of gotten into it.
1: Yeah, well, I only started writing poetry about two, maybe three years ago. I had always kind of wanted to explore writing on my own, um, but I really thought I was interested in like screenwriting. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way that kind of worked in my brain was just not really fitting. Um, I kind of just like to express my thoughts more in like poetic prose uh, and verse. Um, And so that just felt like a better fit for me.
0: Yeah, and so both of us are on the poetry editing staff here for our literary magazine. And this topic actually came up the other day when we were just kind of like talking about what we find really great about poetry, what we love about like poems and like uniqueness. And so do you wanna talk a little bit about like what you find to be, like, really important qualities in a poem that you enjoy? Not, like, necessarily what makes poetry, but, like, what you enjoy in poetry.
1: Well, I usually enjoy poems that, like, that take risks yeah. and that do something new that I haven't seen before, which I think is kind of the trap that Ruby Carr falls uh, falls into. Um, I was kind of thinking just about why her poetry is so appealing to so many people, and I think Thinking back to like high school when we had to read poets like Keats and Dickinson, I think people are so turned off by some of the flowery language and like metaphorical metaphors.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I love metaphorical metaphors. Exactly. Yeah, no, I think we all. I think we all do. I think we can all sing.
1: <laughs> um, but I think people just got kind of frustrated with not being able to take maybe exactly what the poet meant. And so I think Ruby Carr just says it how it is. What she writes is exactly what you're meant to take from it. Yeah. It's not very deep. It's pretty like surface level. What she says is what you get, really.
0: Right. Okay. So now let's dive like a little bit more into like Ruby Carr as a writer and just like everything. About it. So, I similarly kind of got like milk and honey as a gift for my friend. And I opened it up and I was excited because I'd seen all this like hype about it. And then I read it and it was very much just like, the sky is crying today and so am I, period. And it's just like these little minimalist, like not even poems so much as quotes Mm -hmm. that I feel like you can just like put on your story. And I think that there was something that really struck me about it because I think that representation is something that's very, very important. I mean, especially in terms of like poetry in any art form. Mm. And I know that this has like been like a common topic, but it felt like, in terms of not only a representation of like, because i can only speak to her representation of femininity because i'm not someone who's south asian i have seen people that are south asian talk about a little bit of the commodification of like the diasporic experience mm-hmm. in like south asian femininity um, and that's a topic that like we can talk about a little bit but obviously neither of us have that experience but like i can talk about a little bit about the way that she spoke about femininity felt very towards the binary. Like it was very much like, we are flowers, and we are gentle, mm-hmm. and we are, I mean, it's just like these this very simple language that made it feel as though, it was. there's nothing empowering about it, and it's kind of like what we were talking about, where I think it's partially because there's no nuance, but also just because it feels like, it feels like what <laughs> you would market to a quote-unquote teenage girl. It feels mm-hmm. like it's kind of like narrowing the scope of what we can be exposed to in a lot of ways and I think also just having her be the main voice at least at that time for like female poetry at least on a wide scale like for those who aren't really into poetry there was something that kind of nodded me about it and I couldn't really shake like the feeling that I had after reading her poetry like something about it just really got to me and I remember having this discussion with a lot of my friends where I was like I was really kind of, like, irate. I was like, this isn't poetry. This isn't poetry. And, of course, it's, like, a hard thing to say, what is poetry, what is art? But it was something that, like, really struck me and kind of, like, made me a little bit visceral at the moment, mm-hmm. especially when poetry had become such like a safe space for me to kind of dissect a lot of things that were going on in my life. It felt like kind of sacrilege to call it poetry at that point.
1: I feel like a lot of times her poetry toes the line between, like, real poetry and just writing to... Like hook on and like profit off of trends right. in the modern age, especially as you kind of mentioned, it's very much geared towards teenage girls, right. um, and I think that can even be a little bit harmful, especially when you present those kind of monolithic um, views of femininity. Yeah, especially for someone at such like a, a young age, that I think it can become problematic when this is, like, some of the only writing that these girls are being exposed to.
0: Right. Well, and it's, like, I know we were going to say, like, we were going to mention Gabby Hanna's poetry, too. Mm-hmm. And something that I think both of them do that has bothered me a little bit, I mean, they talk a lot about, and, again, this was kind of, like, brought up in the sense of, like, South Asian heritage as well, but there's a very blurred line between individual trauma and collective trauma Mm -hmm. in a way that just really does feel like they're capitalizing on this general experience that maybe they they have had, but also like that maybe they haven't. And there's like a romanticization a lot. And there I think about like sexual violence Mm -hmm. against women in a way that, like, again, I understand like poetry is something that I used to process that I experienced in my own life, but in a way that was deeply like romanticizing it. And I think, again, when you're talking about like... A lot. I mean, the literature that I think young people are exposed to today is, like, kind of being diminished in a lot of ways. Uh-huh. Um, and I think that both of us are, like, lucky to have experienced, like, the literature we have. Like, even to read, like, Dickinson in high school, yeah. like, I feel like I barely, like, read anything like that. And a lot of it was on my own time. And so for this to be, like, the thing that people are exposed to, I mean, again, especially in, like, the minimalist culture. Like, I was talking to a friend about this today and, like, how color... Is decreasing the amount of color we just like have in our lives is decreasing because like everyone wants neutrals and every like the logos on companies like mm-hmm. are just artists kind of like decreasing into this like minimalist state and so and there's also I mean and this is kind of tangential to it but like some things shouldn't be talked about in a minimalist way <laughs> like I'm, True. like again like diasporic heritage shouldn't be talked about in like a five line poem <laughs> like it it just feels really it just it made me feel very I guess just dejected because it was like to wrap up a collective like feminine experience into like this generalized like adjective filled like little synopsis, just felt very depersonalizing
1: i was I was that's exactly what I was gonna say. It just feels like Ruby's poetry has become just intensely just like unpersonal, yeah, where she's just trying to appeal to these to just like a wider audience where she's just like oh, I'm going to write this and see if anyone can relate. And then they go to like post about it and be like, oh my God, she gets me in ways I like have never been like understood before. Um, but I think that can become a little bit like extortive. You know? Yes, I
0: mean? yes. I think that it, it really does like, <laughs> it feels almost like we're being played a little bit. Like, yes. I, like I remember feeling when I bought that book, I was like, wait a damn minute. Like this is like, and there's like nothing in here that like and the thing is I remember feeling it was so Mm de-individualized that I remember reading it and feeling like I couldn't connect to it because it was so general Mm -hmm. and like I know we were talking about the other day when we were doing our poetry editing that one of the things that we both find really powerful is when poems are almost like hyper specific to that person's experience because even though you might not be able to relate to like every little detail Mm -hmm. and like the color of the shirt that they were wearing there's something that's so raw and real when you can tell that they're writing for themselves and when they're really writing about something that is, like, deeply meaningful to them. And that's just something that I think is missing here. And that, like, it really... The poetry makes you feel like you are the product. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that I just felt, like, it was a little bit insulting as a reader (laughs) to read it (laughs) because I was just, like, do you think I'm dumb? Like, it's, like, it reminds me of, like, this little quote book that my mom gave me that was, like, quotes to, like... About, like, womanhood. And it's just, like, I'm just, like, this is your poetry book. And it's just, like, I, th- I think one thing that would be helpful is to contrast it. I know that I am a big fan, and you are a big fan of Ocean Wong. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about, um, kind of, like, some of their books? And is that correct pronouns there?
1: I'm not entirely sure. I'll double check that. Well, I didn't know.
0: Well, yeah, we'll double check that. But I think that that's something that, like, I, I think that is important to talk about as well, is to, like, not just kind of like bash against that but to talk about something that really is meaningful and that has some sort of depth to it and kind of like tackles I think a lot of similar like topics maybe not like directly because I think that there's like a lot more kind of talk about like sexuality and gender Mm. and stuff in there but like some traumatic things that have happened but in a more nuanced and more personal way.
1: I think the funny thing about Ocean Vuong's poetry is that even though it's deeply, deeply personal Mm. and entirely personalized to his own experience, I was able to take the most out of it, out of, like, some, like, any other poet I've ever read, Mm. because I feel like when I was reading it, he just understood, like, the queer struggle in a way that I had never read before, which I thought was kind of funny, because, like, as I kind of mentioned, it's his own experience, and it's hard to relate, um, especially, like, um, when, like, he's telling these Deeply personal stories, deeply intimate stories with, about his father and his relationship with his mother. Um, but I think, I
0: don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, no. I mean, I, I, I like. I really feel like I hear what you're saying in the mm-hmm. sense of like, there's something that is transcendent above experience. Like, especially, and I think that that really comes through in poetry. And I think from the conversations that we've had is something that we both like. That's one of the things we both love mm-hmm. about it. Is like, you can there's so much that you can soak up that is not and this sounds like kind of like cliche and like poetry so much but that's not in the writing mm-hmm. it's like it's not like it's honestly not even like the words it's like there's so much reading in between the lines in poetry that I think is really beautiful especially when you can experience and inference and risk-taking and like all of these like things that are not about like, and those are the things that you relate to more than the words and the experience that's being like listed within there. And I think that that is something that really contrasts to like Rupi Kaur's poetry and something that I wanted to ask you, because again, it's like not all to bash on Rupi, because it's like, it's I don't think that there's any malintent there. I think it really is just like, y- you kind of have to take... It's more of like a reflection of like society than it is of like her. Mm-hmm. And so like that's kind of what I wanted to talk about is kind of like society's obsession with like minimalism and especially yes. in art. And like, I mean, even like, I was thinking about this the other day with like AI art and like thinking about like stuff like Chat GBT writing poetry mm-hmm. and like stuff like that. So I wanted to ask you more about like, why do you feel like we have such an obsession with like minimalist and like almost like, I don't even, sanitized like emotion and poetry and art at this point.
1: Well, in my opinion, I, I honestly think a lot of art these days, or at least art that is in like the popular, uh, within like the popular consciousness, is has been dumbed down, right? Really, because I think people have been conditioned to not be willing to do the heavy lifting when it comes to interpreting poetry or um, even just like interpreting a movie, stuff like that. Like you kind of see that with um, the rise of popularity in like the Marvel movies, right. where there's absolutely no mental like there's there's no mental work that has to be done in order to like enjoy those right. movies and I feel
0: like that's okay but like call it what it is yeah exactly <laughs> but the, I, it's like
1: I can I'm it's kind of controversial hot take but I'm kind of in Martin Scorsese's take. camp when he says that Marvel movies are like like going to a theme park yeah there's I wouldn't I would call them movies I wouldn't call them cinema
0: yeah and it's like I feel like like I definitely understand people are gonna be like that's a little snobby. But it's like, I mean, like, I I agree. Mm-hmm. I think that there's something to be... And it's like, I know that there's so much art that goes into it. Mm-hmm. But when you're... T- like, it's just... It's in a different category. And I think, like, again, like, it's fine. And, like, the same thing with Ruby Corps poetry. Like, ultimately, like, it's a fine thing. And I don't think that it's wrong to consume yeah. it. But it's like, I think that, you know, when we're talking about, like, placing it into, like, a certain category, like, a certain binary, I think that it's important to kind of, like, call it that. And I also... I mean, I agree with what you're saying in the sense of, like it kind of being dumbed down. And I also think that, I mean, it's kind of like what we were talking about the other day in editing where there's like a lot of traps that I think people fall into. And mm-hmm. I think that one of Rupi core specifically is just like, there's so many cliches. Yes. And it also like, with her poetry books being like, some of the largest poetry books that have been sold. Mm-hmm. And like, maybe like, if not the not, like the biggest poetry books that have been sold. It, I don't want to be like, I'm worried for the younger generation. But, like it does like, to a certain extent and I'm sure like the people that are really into poetry will find like incredible and like really innovative poetry I mean it's also like I think it's kind of like what you were saying and it's it's not as though you can't be exposed to like so much art it's not that like one like you have like a finite sum of art you can be exposed to so I don't want to act like reading Rupi Kaur will take away from reading like i don't know like we said like dickinson or something Mm. like that like you can do both it's not like mutually exclusive but it does i don't know i just i think that it's important that people are exposed to a little bit more i don't know like the right word but like a little bit more critical poetry and like and it's also like the thing about ruby core that bothers me a bit and like i've seen this um and some of the things that i was reading before this and going back to like her Asian heritage, like she, she did immigrate to Canada when she was very young, and like that, that is her heritage. and I think that that's very important, and I'm sure she's had, she's had many experiences that have related to that. And I know that she's touched on that a bit in her poetry. But again, I, I think that um, there are a lot of other writers who, I hope get the same recognition as her, mm-hmm. who write about similar experiences, maybe in a more in-depth way. And again, it's not, it's not like Ruby Corn needs to step down for them to do that. Mm-hmm. I just hope that they're also able to gain the amount of notoriety and success. And I hope that she uses her platform in order to pull some of those voices up and to amplify their voices. Um, Because, I mean, it's not that I followed her very closely, but I I haven't heard much of that going on. Um, And I just think that that would be something that's really important in kind of like that conversation to just like bring in other voices. Um, And again, like more nuanced stories, because ultimately I think that that would be something to kind of like, again one of the critiques was that it was just like a very kind of collectivized trauma and sort of an individual trauma and I think that you build a better story and a better web when you are able to bring other people's experiences in and so that's my thoughts on that
1: yeah I guess I would just love to see like I know I, I would like to see Ruby kind of acknowledge that like her niche in poetry is like one part of right. a huge massive like world of literature, um, even though that like um so, like social media has made it seem like she's like the only popular poet these days. Mm-hmm. And I think it would be good for her to kind of maybe use her platform to introduce her readers to other poets in order to get them to like show them what else right. exists in the world.
0: Right. It's kind of like a diving board like into like a whole world of things. Yes. I agree. I agree. And again like we're not like i don't want to act like either of us are like experts master's students in like rupee core or poetry like we're we're just people that really enjoy literature and who really really enjoy poetry Mm -hmm. and you know we're just kind of like a little bit like this is an interesting trend that we see happening and before we go i just want to ask you your thoughts on ai art in general and like especially with the future of like writing and like things like that and of course like you know, if you ask ChatGPT to write a, write a poem, it's not gonna do like Keats, but like, huh. <laughs> but it'll like write something. And it's like, and honestly, <laughs> not again, not to hate too much on Rupi Kaur, sometimes they sound a little bit milk and honey. Um, so I don't know, I just wanted to ask you, and it's, I feel like it's more like visual art. Like, I know one of my friends is very, a big visual artist. Um, and, you know, I mean, there's just like a lot of things that it can pull from, and a lot of things that it can do. And so I just wanted to ask your thoughts really quickly before you leave on, AI and art, and just like the future of art, especially when it comes to tech.
1: Yeah, I'm not really entirely sure how deep these kind of AI, like chat, GBT, is that correct? Yeah, um, bots can like write poetry, but I think as we kind of go along, we're gonna have to learn how to like coexist and yeah. use it as a tool for our writing. I think.
0: Um, well, it's like I've used like random word generators. Yeah, and, like, no, exactly. Like to a certain extent, like that's AI. Mm-hmm. Like, and so, like, you know, I, like there's certain levels to it yeah, for yeah. sure.
1: I think you have to be honest about how you're using it. Okay. If you're using it to like figure out a word that you might need or get a prompt idea or maybe um, where to take your poem um, or even just like figuring out how to end it in a correct way, I think that can be useful. In a sense, but I think as you begin to use it to just write entire bodies of text, it can become a bit problematic.
0: Yeah, I think. I mean, yeah, I think it's really interesting because we've again we've seen a lot of AI art talking about like visually, but now like with ChatGPT, I'm sure as ChatGPT gets more advanced and it can do more like editing work and like learns more about like literature. I mean, I don't like. I feel like it sounds silly, but like it's. True. Like I mean, look Mm -hmm. at all the things it's been able to do. Then, like I feel like that'll be like a very interesting frontier to see what happens with like AI literature. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I think that's something that's very interesting. But before before we leave, do you have any poets you'd like to plug? Any literature you've read recently? Any poems you've read recently? Or just anything you'd like to say to the people?
1: Yeah, actually, (laughs) I just finished a anthology edited by Joy Harjo. Um, she was the, I think, uh, the U.S. poet laureate a couple of poet laureates back, and snaps, <laughs> snaps. <laughs> and she uh, did a collection of poems written entirely by contemporary Native American, uh, American Indian uh, yeah. poets. Um, and just, there's just so much diversity within it that I absolutely recommend it if you're willing to, if you are looking to broaden your horizons when it comes to poetry.
0: Beautiful. Well, thank you all so much for listening. I really appreciate it. And we hope that you have learned a lot. (laughs) Yeah.